You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Good morning, Reality. Today our scripture reading is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 through 18. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said the only way to gain life is through losing it. In the kingdom of God, you gain by losing. That's how things work around here. It's when we release our grip on the life that we thought we were entitled to, that's when we discover the life that we were intended for. Now, let me illustrate um, with some very practical illustrations here. When something is lost and you go to search for it, sometimes you end up finding something unexpected, and even sometimes you end up finding something more valuable in the process. Say, for instance, you lose your phone charger, and your phone is like on 1% and is about to die, but you remember there's that old phone charger where like the wires are frayed, but if you pinch it and you like tweak it just a little bit the right way, it like closes the circuit and will begin to charge your, charge your phone. You remember that, that that charger is in that that endless abyss junk drawer, and so you, you venture into the junk drawer and you're digging around, and in search of the charger, you find something else. You find that old photograph of uh, yourself and a loved one that you forgot that you had lost. And you begin to sort of be enraptured by that moment or by that person or by that experience that that photograph captures. And just for that brief moment, the, the urgency of the phone charger isn't so big. You discover something maybe a little bit more valuable in the process. Or recently, I was searching for a little button repair kit. And so I'm digging in my my drawer, and what I come across are my grandfather's cufflinks that my grandmother had given to me after he passed away. Something valuable being discovered when something else is lost. And on a bigger scale, on the scale of our lives, 
what I want to ask you to consider today is that the life that you've had to put on hold right now, or maybe even the life that you feel like is lost forever, is making another life possible. The you that you are becoming and will be may have never been possible without the confusing circumstances and without the loss that you're experiencing right now. And I know, I, I'm, I'm sure that this feels like the less desirable life. This is definitely not the life that any of us chose for ourselves. But what I want to ask you to consider is this. What if this is the more valuable one? What if what you're experiencing right now is that kingdom gain through loss? And the scriptures lead us to believe that that is what, in fact, we, that is incurring in our lives right now, what we are experiencing. And what I want to invite you to lean into today is into the mystery of gaining through losing, in, in leaning into that mystery. And that's what we're doing in this Eastertide season. As, as you remember, we're, we're exploring that space in between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of his return in the already but not yet. And as I've already mentioned, this is a difficult space to navigate. It comes with confusion and disorientation. It's a space marked by paradox. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is filled with paradox. We see these very opposite ideas somehow working together. Like death and life, how do those work together? Or pain and praise, what? Or wasting away and being renewed. How on earth do these opposing ideas work together? Well, that's, that's the paradox. And in order to really like lean into the paradox of the Christian life, I want to invite us to see a few distinct ways that we are to live faithfully in that middle space as mentioned here in 2 Corinthians we're going to cover four things from this passage this morning. Embracing the mystery, growing into life, preparing for glory, and then looking beyond. Let's look first at embracing the mystery. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God of confusion. And while I believe that this is very true, the Bible tells us I don't think it means what we think it means. While this is true that God is not a God of confusion, it's often taken to mean that we should then resist situations that don't make sense to us, or we, as Christians, should avoid confusing things. If we can't wrap our minds around it, then it's not from God. We, we need to reject it because God's not a God of confusion. Maybe it's not that simple. This certainly cannot mean that everything that God does is always going to make perfect sense to us. This can't mean that, that we'll never be confused by what God is doing in our lives. Perhaps God can give us something that is confusing. Take, for instance, marriage, the gift of marriage. The Bible tells us that an excellent wife is more precious than jewels, but if I told you that I had my wife all figured out, and then I was never confused by her, I'd be straight out lying to you. I'd be lying. A, a, a gift from God can be perplexing and still remain a gift from God at the same time. 
See, what we forget is that life is full of paradox. Life is full of tension. And the Christian life itself is marked by mystery. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in probably one of his lengthiest expositions on the, the resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, he describes the resurrection life as a mystery, something that's not obvious, something that's not apparent. And so what this shows us is that laying hold of the resurrection, as we looked at last week, laying hold of the resurrection means that we need to lean into the mystery. We lean into the mystery. And in order to do that, it's, rem- it's important for us to remember that faith isn't comprehension. Faith is trust. Yes, faith involves the mind, but faith isn't comprehension. Faith is trust. Now, our kids are typically given school assignments where they have to study a subject or they read through a literary work, and then they are tested afterwards. They have to prove their comprehension of that thing that they've studied by uh, written test or by writing out a paper, proving that they comprehend what they have read. And so what we end up doing in, in our Christian life is we treat faith similarly. Similarly, To many, faith is the sum total of our comprehension of God. Faith is how we score on our theology test. If I score high, I have a lot of faith. If I score low and I don't know that much, I have not a lot of faith. But the Bible shows us over and over again It doesn't work that way. Faith is entrusting our life to God and to a God that we will never, ever wrap our minds around. We just need to settle that right now. You're never going to wrap your mind around an infinite, eternal God. And so, therefore, the faith test isn't about answering correctly. As the Bible shows us, the faith test is about following obediently. This is the proof of trust. Following obediently. Jesus introduced two words that turned the world upside down. Follow me. And so the question isn't, well, can I understand this? Or does this make sense? Or can I reconcile this idea about God with you know, some of my preconceived notions about life? No, that's not how it works. The question is this. Am I willing to follow Jesus when it doesn't make sense? That's the true test of faith. Am I willing to be perplexed and not allow it to drive me to despair? That's the kind of trust that the scripture is calling us into here. One that is willing to embrace the mystery of the Christian life where we do experience affliction and yet we're not crushed by it where we experience persecution, but at the end of the day, we know we're loved by God and that he would never abandon us, where we're struck down, but we're, we're not destroyed, and where somehow God is bringing about life, bringing uh, life about out of situations that feel like death. And this, I believe, is how we should be viewing uh, this confusing moment that we find ourselves in in this season. If I, if I could be completely honest with you, this has been one of the most disorienting times of my life. And it has to do with all of the changes that have been occurring in my life, the loss of what used to be normal life. I'm realizing all of these 
sort of habits and patterns of normal life were very much propping up normal, normalcy and sanity for me. And then you strip them away, and it's just confusing. And so I spent a considerable amount of time resisting this season, trying to take control, because that's what I do, <laughs> trying to, to, to force life to become normal again, fighting to change my circumstances, resisting the restrictions that were on me. But I realized that this approach that I was taking was not making me better. In fact, it was making me bitter. It, it was making me resent life, and that resentment was beginning to pour over into the, the relationships around me. It's devastating. And so I had to stop focusing on, like, when is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? When am I going to get back to normal life? And I began to ask, what am I intended to experience here? What am I intended to experience right now? And while I, I don't have a full answer for that, and I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and even then I probably won't grasp it all, but, but one thing, one thing that I believe God is intending for me to gain in, in my moment of loss is a renewal of my identity is a renewal, a renewed sense of who I am through faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I begin to ask questions like this. When, when all the things in my life are stripped away, what's left? Is it treasure? Is it valuable? When, when the outer self is stripped, what inner realities are being revealed? And, and I'm realizing in this season just how much of me was actually attached to all the things that I do. And all the things that I do have now been stripped away, and now I'm left asking, who am I? Who am I apart from my job? Who, what is my true source of identity? What, what's happening right now? I'm gaining through losing. And God, by his grace, is teaching me to embrace that process. Embracing the mystery. The second thing we see here is growing into life. Now, the pattern of the gospel is this, death and resurrection. You see the cross and then the empty tomb. The gospels tell us that Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death through his sacrifice, through the atonement, through the cross, and then on the third day, he raised to new life, to give us new life through his resurrection. And so now, that's the pattern that believers embody. The death and resurrection, the, the cross and the, and the empty tomb, that's not just true of Jesus, but now for the believer, that's true of us. That's the pattern that we are to embody throughout the Christian life. In fact, look with me in verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to, now you would expect him to say life, if we're living, we're being given over to life. That's not what he says, though. Always being given over to death. That's weird. For Jesus' sake. Well, why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And so the old us, the body of sin and rebellion and corruption, and the new us in Jesus Christ when marked by life, the old and the new can't occupy the same space, right? So whatever dies within us is giving space for new life. Whatever refuses 
to die will never be raised to new life. And so what we're learning here is that resisting death to self is actually, actually the way that, that, that we in the long run forfeit the resurrection life. We're forfeiting the experience of the resurrection when we refuse to die to ourselves. Ann Voskamp, she put it this way. Spiritual formation is ultimately cruciformation. Let me say that one more time. Spiritual formation is ultimately cruciformation. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that change for the Christian is always going to be in the shape of a cross. We talk a lot about being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the the process of sanctification, where the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus Christ. We talk about that quite a bit. In fact, I don't think there's been a Sunday where I haven't mentioned some dynamic of that sanctifying process. But what I think that we forget is that this is a crucified and risen Jesus. We're being shaped into the image of a crucified Christ. Jesus himself in John 12 said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it's not the end of its story. No, it bears much fruit. And so we know in nature that seeds need to be planted into the ground in order to to grow up. And the same is true for the Christian life. We are crucified with Christ. We are buried with Christ in order to grow into new life. And so the pattern is that we grow up as we go down. The way up is down. The way to ascend into life is by descending into death. And so for Paul, this process of growth in Christ meant affliction and confusion and hostility and humiliation. But listen to how he says, essentially, but don't be mistaken here. We are experiencing affliction and confusion and hostility and humiliation, but we are not crushed, and we are not in despair, and we are not abandoned, and we are definitely not done for. Far from it. We have never been more alive. That seems to be Paul's point here, that as we waste away, we grow more alive. As things decay around me, the inner person is being renewed. As things get ugly out there, things begin to shimmer and shine in here. And this is the irony that you have got to be willing to lean into. You've got to be. And it's this, that for the child of God, The things that feel like death are the very things that God is using to bring about life. What you may see as getting in the way of you living life right now is the very way that God is clearing space for you to experience the resurrection life. Growing in life. Thirdly and briefly, Preparing for glory. Look at me in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us 
for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Friend, you must be willing to begin to see this season that you're in as a time of preparation. This is a spiritual training ground. Now, I have never seen people more active and more outside doing things, getting in shape, than when they have been mandated to stay at home. I I kid you not, the day after the governor uh, issued this mandated self-quarantine, that very next day, I had never seen more people outside jogging, walking around. Neighbors I never see leave their house or out playing like street hockey. Just yesterday, I see someone like jump roping on the sidewalk. I feel like we're in a scene of a movie here. As I, as I tune into social media, I see, I see your little home gym set up and your little push-up challenges and all these things. People, people are seeing this as an opportunity to get in shape. People are seeing this as an opportunity for training and preparing to sort of reemerge in this glorious in-shapeness when this whole thing is over. But the believer understands that, that this isn't all this time is about. We see this as a time for the Spirit of God to be renewing and specifically to be preparing us, right? As as the strain and the tearing of muscles is part of the preparation process, the strain and the tearing of life is preparing us for the glorious life to come. And the Christian learns that what may feel painful right now, this light momentary affliction, is my preparation for the glory that's to come. Fourth and finally, what we see here is looking beyond. Looking beyond. Now, I've been reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters from prison, and it's his correspondence with the outside world, friends and family members from within a, a Nazi prison during World War II. And the first letter that he writes a number of days after he's in prison is to his parents. And as he's writing to his parents, he's, you know, he's essentially saying that he's surprised that the physical restraints aren't the hardest part of this experience. He says the food is scarce, the bed is hard, he complains about not having cigarettes, apparently 20th century German theologians smoked. You know, he's all, but these, these things are surprisingly not the hardest part. He says what I underestimated most was the mental strain. What I underestimated most was what these walls would do to my mind. And he said, when you find yourself in a position like this, he said, it brings with it the need to take one's mental bearings and to come to terms with an entirely new situation. Moments like these require us to get our mental bearings and to come to terms with an entirely new new situation. Have you done that? Have you done that in your moment? It's like that iconic moment uh, in, in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy turns to her dog and she says, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I, I have a feeling that, that things have changed. And I think that this is what we need to do in this moment, in our season. We need to pause a moment and look around We need to get our bearings, and we need to recognize that life has changed and mourn the loss of that and release the life that we thought we were entitled to, to God. We need to recognize that life is different. When when restrictions lift, whenever that is, life still won't be normal. This will come with 
you know, a lot of long-term effects. Life as you knew it may be changed forever. We need to be okay with that. We need to settle that reality. And yet, we can do that with hopefulness as well. See, here's what the Christian has the distinct ability to do. The Christian has the ability to hold honesty and hopefulness in tension. I can look around at my life, I can look around at the reality of what's going on in the world, and I can be straight up honest about it. I can name it. It's not good. And yet, I can look at life with a distinct Christian hope. And here's how. Look with me in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're going away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. There was an author named Viktor Frankl who was a Holocaust survivor. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And it was about his years within the concentration camps, one of which was Auschwitz, and really about his time helping people. Before he and his wife were arrested and taken to the camps, he was a psychiatrist. And so what he did was he continued his practice, I am assuming pro bono at that point, from within the camp as a prisoner, trying to help the people around him. And so over the course of the year, he saw countless people, tons and tons of people. And he said what he found was that uh, of all the fellow prisoners that he sat down with and he was able to counsel, he said there were essentially four types of people. He said the first type were those who almost immediately turned cruel, where they, they adopted the scarcity mindset, where this is mine, stay away, this is my food, this is my clothes, this is my bed, th th this is mine. It was survival mode. It caused them to be cruel, and by and large, these people died quick. He said the second group were those who simply gave up. And it, it just had these subtle beginnings. It was, you know, like so-and-so would just kind of get out of bed later and later every day, and they stopped getting dressed, and they stopped caring for themselves. They let go of, you know, self-care and grooming and these sort of things, and over the course of time, they just gave up on life and withered away and died. He said there was then a third group, and this, this group really interests me. He said these were those who had hope in regaining the life they had before the war. They had set their minds on things like their health, their family, their fortunes, their professions, their, their social status, all the things that they had before the war. They're, they're thinking, okay, we're, when it's all said and done, we're going to get it back. We'll, we'll, we'll reenter life and society with all the benefits that we had before. And what they all found after the war was that everything was lost. Life didn't go back to normal. And as he writes in the book, many of these people ended up committing suicide after the Holocaust. And that is deeply saddening that there were individuals that survived the Holocaust, for goodness sake. And they were not able to survive the years that followed. He said then there was a fourth group. And he says, these were those who discovered inner liberty, who seemed to transcend their circumstances. And by and large, this fourth category of people were those who survived. And he said, you know, life in a concentration camp tears open the human soul and exposes the depths of the soul. 
And people would come to him and, and ask him desperately, you know, how are we supposed to survive? How are we going to make it out of this thing alive? And he said, I would respond the same way every time. He would tell them the only way is to hope for something that suffering and evil or anything else cannot destroy. Something fixed and unshakable. You got to put your hope in something that cannot be taken away from you. And as the Bible shows us that this is how the inner man and the inner woman is being strengthened and given stability even in the most extreme place like a concentration camp, which gives us confidence of survival in our specific moment. And it's not by looking back at what life was like before. It's not looking back with nostalgia and just hoping to regain what we had. No, it's by looking beyond. By looking to a future that suffering or pandemic or disease can't touch. And that's a future hope that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. And Paul says, therefore, in other words, because of this resilient hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we do not lose heart. We do not grow faint-hearted. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the mental and emotional resilience that moments like the moment that we're in right now require the fortitude to not lose our minds. I've talked with a lot of people, and especially over this last week, a lot of men and women have felt like just over the course of the last seven days, they've hit a wall. Their, their optimism ran out. They're the, the running on fumes. What they, the, what they thought they had in order to get them through this has, has been depleted. And now... It's starting to get to them. Fatigue is beginning to set in. Irritation is beginning to set in. And people are beginning to lose heart. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is a connection here that Paul makes for us that I think that we seldom consider. And it's this, that the same power, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you to give you the fortitude that is required to persevere and persevere in faithfulness so that you too can join with Paul in saying, I am perplexed. This is confusing. I have no idea what is going on. But I refuse to be driven to despair. May the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever.